When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Tuesday morning. It's football and random things. Jeff Woody is in, I think, South Carolina getting married right now. Or, well, he got married yesterday. I can't remember if it's South Carolina or North Carolina. I don't know. It's one of the Carolinas or one of those states over on the southeast part of the country. Uh, got married yesterday. Congrats to Jeff. We'll talk to him again this weekend for the Cyclone Fanatic Tailgate Show. Uh, ahead of Iowa State's road trip down to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears. But that meant we had to go to the bullpen. So we call in the closer. I compared him to Mariana Rivera yesterday uh, on Twitter. It's Jay Jordan. What's up, my man? Hey, Jared. I'm happy to be here. I, I'm no Jeff. Uh, and certainly our styles differ a little bit, but I've I've taken notes and hopefully I can be uh, as informative as him. I think I'm going to take the rest of the day, though, and just text Jeff constantly football notes and stuff just to try to interrupt him on the day after. It's, it's rare for me to hear, to not hear from Jeff for like five days. And I have not heard from Jeff for five days. So I assume that he got married. I assume he's still alive, uh, but I have not heard from him in quite some time now. So uh, um, we'll just have to remain hopeful. It's, well, and that's especially true when Iowa State plays football that I don't hear from him for uh, several days. So Jeff must be having quite the time down there. As friends of Jeff, uh, I am so happy for him. Yeah. He is got himself into a great situation and i'm just i just wish all the best to him so if he listens to this just to see if we held down the fort jeff buddy and we're, we're really happy for you absolutely um all right let's hop into uh the, the game from this past saturday iowa state with a 48 to 3 win over the unlv running rebels uh jay you and i were kind of talking about it before we got started uh, the, the rebels didn't do much running during this game. This, uh, was not a, not a very fun night, I think to be a UNLV fan, but, uh, definitely a fun night to be an Iowa state fan. And it looked like it was a fun night to be a, an Iowa state player. And I think that that was one of the big things that I was, you know, happy to see from this game and happy to hear after the game got over from some of the guys in the press conferences, just that, you know, the first two weeks, even though you win in week one, I think you could tell that they maybe were feeling the pressure, the expectations, the weight of everything after the off season. Uh, it just looked like people were maybe, you know, I don't know, overwhelmed. I don't know would be the best way to put it, but uh, just they could really feel that pressure on their shoulders. And I thought that Saturday, it seemed like a lot of that kind of had been relieved and it looked like they were back to having fun playing football. Uh, and that is welcome from the fan base as well as coaching staff the team, um, the players themselves. And, and yes, that, that's when you are elevated into that pressure status and it's, it's really your first time to be there. Um, it's, it's a transition. It's a learning curve on how to perform under that pressure and not, uh, in a relaxed manner and not, um, not press. And I, I think we saw in the first two weeks a little bit of pressing, um, pushing towards perfection. And we've heard that before uh, from them, frankly, last year. Uh, they, they felt that way in the year before a little bit. Um, so it's a, it's a learning process. And, and there's even though there's a lot of experience here, there's not a lot of experience with that type of expectation. So they, they seem to play a little bit better when it's them against the world versus the world versus them. Yeah. And so something that coach Campbell had talked about a lot during the week leading up to the game was wanting guys to have a sense of urgency to, you know, go and just make a play. Like right. he kept talking about, uh, he had kept talking about getting into rhythm and, you know, sometimes people, you know, when he's talking about Brock, he's talking about the other 10 guys on the field needing to fill the, fulfill their duties as well and all this kind of stuff. So I asked him a question, uh, during his press conference last week, I just was like, sometimes does this thing just come down to you just need someone like whoever it is to just go and make a play. And I mean, 
that's exactly what he, he said it was. And he talked about that sense of urgency. And I mean, you want to talk about a game where your best players show up and make plays, you know, you, to have Brock Purdy have the day that he did uh, really efficient, had, you know, the fumble during the second quarter, but for the most part, hard to, to knock Brock for anything that he did in this game. Uh, you get Brees Hall over a hundred yards, get him a couple touchdowns. Xavier Hutchinson has 10 catches uh, and two touchdowns. I mean, you, Charlie Kohler was really good. Uh, I would say had their best offensive players show up on one night for, uh, you know, all together on the same night for the first time so far this season. And I think you could see that sense of urgency. Those guys could set, could, we're able to get that out onto the field that that desire to go and make plays make something happen for their team yeah and i think that that happened more because um they stayed within themselves so an offensive football uh, making a play can occur with an outstanding effort on a run or a great effort and uh, a catch that would be unexpected. Uh, it can be a great throw though, though quarterbacks make plays by staying within the offense, making their reads and making accurate passes. And that's what you saw Brock do. That's the, that's the actual progression that I've talked about a number of times. when we've, we've been on these, these podcasts and that Jeff and I have talked about that's that game was the progression that you wanted to see from, or should see from a Brock Purdy in his senior year um, where he was patient, uh, you know, his incompletions, uh, there's one he short armed. There was one that he forced. Uh, he had the easy throw, which was to the flat, and then he forced it down the middle to Milton, and um, it was low and, and and incomplete. But he only did that a couple times. And frankly, with the experience level that he has, that's what you would expect. He stood in the pocket and stepped into his throws, and um, and yeah, the the playmakers were there running their routes uh, and completing their plays. Um, I, I think there's still offensive questions that we can talk about in a minute um, that, that I want to see, but I, in rewatching the game kind of figured out what I think is going on uh, and, and what hurt them in the first two games. What was the biggest difference you saw from just from Brock first, let's start with, with him uh, from those first two games. He, number one, relaxed. Number two, made his reads and made his throws. Like I said, stepping into his throws. Um, I think in the, in the two previous games, he was still uh, playing that Brock Purdy style where, where chaos reigns. You'll see him step away from throws, throw off his back foot, um, and force balls uh, to try to make a play, um, which – he's been very good at, uh, and he can do better than, than most can. I think what you saw was a poised quarterback and that that was all the difference. I think if he stands in the pocket poised, um, it looked like the game was slower to him. Now it was, they were playing UNLV. Um, so the game was slower. Um, he also didn't have to deal with near as much pressure as what he had in the first two weeks. Um, so we'll see when we get into a, probably this week, when we get into a higher pressure game, um, meaning pressure on the quarterback, does he revert or does he stay in there, make his read and get rid of the ball quickly? That was the other thing. The ball came out of his hands on time. He's, he's not, not notorious or infamous, but neither famous either, but known for, uh, holding on to the ball. And he's done that since his freshman year. That ball was out of his hands, on time, in rhythm, consistently the other night. And that made it even harder for an overmatched UNLV team. Did you think that when they had him running more early in the game, up until when he fumbled in the second quarter, it seemed to me like that was a calculated decision to maybe ease him into the game a little bit. I, I don't know the best way to put it, but it, I mean, they, they had him running design runs more than they had at all this season early on in the game, most notably the the fourth and one, which was the same play that they ran in the Big 12 championship game on a fourth and one for a first down two. So that that is a, a interesting point and appears in my notes. Um, so with all quarterbacks, um, 
there's a getting them into the game type strategy, what, what works for them. A lot of times it's short, quick throws. It's working your quick game on quick screens. Um, sometimes it's getting the running game going uh, before you ask them to start passing with Brock. I think this is by instinct. I haven't researched this, but I think we can go back and find some of his best games and their games where he has run the ball. So, for instance, TCU, I think that was a couple of years ago, maybe last year where he had 100, 100 yards rushing. Now yeah, he's 20, been – 2019, yeah. 2019, um, you know, when he burst on the scene against Oklahoma State. Um, but we could find some of his best passing games are games where he's got somewhere between 30 and 70 yards rushing and five five to seven attempts. Uh We've we've heard that we've we've heard that about it's an analogy for boxers pretty often where you know they got to get hit in the face before they really start dialing in and and warmed up and going and it happens in football often as well they got to somebody needs to take a hit before they they really get into the groove of the game I think Brock's that guy and I thought that that was a really nice strategy um, to get him a few runs now his health is the question right how confident you feel in your backup. And in previous years, his health has been a question. He hasn't been capable or healthy enough to do that. And I think they feel better about Hunter Deckers as a backup this year than they have with what they've had in the past two years. So um, they've got a little little more wiggle room to, to make that. So it will be interesting going forward to see if that's um, – a part of the game plan and that we see early in the game is some of the more read options and Brock taking the ball uh, and running it upfield with, uh, with emphasis and purpose. Uh, because that, that, I think that you're right. I think that that settled him down, gets him into a rhythm where he starts seeing the game better. I think that's just big too, for them with as good as Brees is in the amount of attention that he draws, like it, <laughs> Some of those times that he was that fourth and that fourth and one play, I mean, it would have been a touchdown. I I can't remember who it was. Somebody didn't get their block like out on the uh, on the lead block or something like that, and put, the guy pushed him out of bounds. It would have been a touchdown otherwise. But uh, Brees draws so much attention, especially in those short yardage situations, third and one, fourth and one, whatever. That it seems like that is something that if they can really get that going here in the next couple of weeks then that will help not just Brock, but everybody, I, I guess, it, in my mind. Yeah, and I, I think it's a, a, you know, it's it's grease to the squeaky part of the offense. And um, it just adds an extra element that you have to account for. The option, the reason people run the option, the RPO is nothing but a, but a passing element inserted into the triple option game. Um, the reason it's, it's so popular at the high school and, collegiate level is is that it's hard to account for and hard to remain disciplined enough defensively um, to deal with. And and if you've got Brees Hall, you've got, you know, a dangerous back mm-hmm. who can score, has the long speed to score, then that does attract enough attention to, to break down the discipline on, on taking Purdy. Now, if I'm an opponent, I want to hit Purdy because the more I hit him and the faster I can get to Deckers, the better I feel about my opportunity to win. So it does expose him, but they did it smartly. And he was smart with his runs. He doesn't, um, he, he, when he is engaged in that game, he makes good reads and gets to uh, open spots uh, really well. So it's my hope that that, that continues to be an element of each game. I think he had 33 yards rushing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, excessive it isn't game changing but it is game changing when it gets him in rhythm and um opens up something for Brees. and just to run it for to have him run five times keeps the defense honest too i mean it at least keeps the the idea in their head that he might run the ball you know well, when he just refuses that, to run that's when i think it becomes a problem because then i don't think the defense even feels like they have to account for it right it's much easier to game plan when you don't have that quarterback run element available and, and, and that quarterback run element isn't dangerous, but he's dangerous enough, especially in the red zone um, to grab a big first down to keep the sticks moving or to score. 
and that's what that's where they've they've used it. He doesn't have long speed, but he's got enough quickness to get that ten to twelve yard burst uh, on the edge. And yeah, keeping the defense honest that means basically causing a conflict. That's all you're trying to do with the options. You're trying to cause a player a conflict so that they're wrong no matter what they choose. And if you can put them in that situation, even the best players get a little bit twisted mentally as to what they're supposed to do. And that that's where that do, that discipline breaks down and Iowa State gains an advantage. What did you see from Brees in this game? Tw- 21 carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, had a long of 24 and averaged 4.8 yards per carry. I want to know what I want to know your thoughts real quick. Then I have a have something I want to throw at you. Okay. So now we'll go into the meat of my notes here and what I see has been the struggle with the Iowa State offense this year. First of all, the blocking scheme is different. Okay. Three more gap concepts versus zone blocking concepts. Um, we, you, if you look back at the game, you'll see linemen pulling. Okay, that's not something we've seen since 2016-2017. In 2016-17, Iowa State used that because they were overmatched. You use gap scheme very often uh, because you're trying to get angles. You're trying to pin and pull uh, and bring numbers to a side, but also you're getting better angles. We saw fold blocks, which is a – so the center snaps it, blocks away to the tackle and the guard skips around him and moves up to the middle, middle backer. We've used, uh, that was used heavily in 2016 and 17. And we frankly couldn't, the lineman we had at that time didn't execute it very well. So clearly they feel, um, more comfortable with the lineman they have and being able to execute and perhaps take advantage of the, um, the gap scheme blockings. But we saw a lot of that last night. Um, or not last night, but this week, they were, um, they're okay at it. I'd say they're not proficient at it yet and they're still working on it. So what we've got surprisingly enough is an offense in transition. They're blocking things a little bit different. And the reason that is, is because of the loss of Dylan Sainter. So last year when we saw pulley pullers, we had five linemen who were base blocking or zone blocking on the line. And we pulled Chase Allen and Dylan Sainter, who were both offensive linemen with athleticism around. And it was overwhelming. That's why we saw the run game that we saw. We don't have Sainter in that. So now we've got, got, we've moved from Sainter and Allen to Roos and Kohler. And Kohler's a better blocker than he was, but he's also a key element in the passing game and to, to use your words, keep defenses honest. And you've got Roos as a, as a true fullback, a move fullback who's going to run around and, and try to lead. That also is a gap scheme run concept where you're going to send a lead blocker, a move blocker, like a fullback or a, a H back, like, like Roos is, and you're going to fold uh, into those, those gaps. What that dictates for Brees Hall is a different running style. When you're running gap scheme, you've got to run a little bit different. You're going to be more of a one-cut runner. You're going to hit the hole harder and faster and more determinative uh, as opposed to the patient running style we've come become accustomed to uh, in the zone, inside zone and outside zone. Now, I believe they will still run those. I think that what they've been doing these first three games is working the gap scheme, the different blocking schemes, working Brees in, but some of Brees's, it's hard to say struggles, but a little bit of his struggles. And, and, you know, I know Jeff's broken down him missing certain holes and not being there is number one, because Brees is pressing. He's trying to be perfect and huge and get a big play on everyone. Cause he thinks he should because of the season that he had last year, he's not taking what's there. And that, that's what Brock, the transition Brock made the other night, I think we're still waiting for Brees to make, is when he starts taking what's there and adjusts his running style, which he can do. He can be a one-cut runner. That's that's what makes him great is he can be a one-cut runner. He can be a patient zone uh, zone runner. He can be explosive to the edge, and he can run all the all the plays and has a running style that, that fits it. He just has to make the mental determination uh, – and learn where the holes are with the different blocking scheme and, and hit the right holes with the right tempo. He got closer to that the other night, but he still wasn't there. Um, I, I think, I, I think either we're going to end for a long season with Brees, a little bit frustrating, wondering if he's fallen off and isn't as good, or 
he's going to figure it out soon or they go back to um, more of his own blocking scheme in the run game uh, like they used last year in order to get him comfortable and more productive. Do you think they made that that move, I mean, specifically because of Saner? I mean, I I just – I. It's not. I would think you don't want to do something that your, you know, star tailback isn't necessarily comfortable with. Maybe I don't know. Well, it seems counterproductive in a sense. It does, but I don't. I think there's more to it than that. Obviously, I'm giving a thirty thousand foot overview. They they felt better about Russ than than Saner. Um, just honestly, um, and, and what they can do there that the staff's preference on the offensive side of the ball is to run like they did in 2016 and 17, um, is to have that H back type as opposed to what they did last year with, with a Saner, um, it's not specifically focused. He wasn't like the secret weapon or the secret sauce necessarily, just he and Allen were really good at getting up at the second level and overwhelming second level defenders. And that's what gave Brees the opportunity to make that shift, make that early cut and get to seven to 10 yards. They're not doing that uh, very well right now. Part of that has to do with the offensive line adjusting to moving out in space, pulling. Um, and they have guys who can do it. Um that's why I think they're they're kind of stubbornly pushing forward with it right now is, is because they think it will be better. Um, and it can be. Uh, Simmons is terribly athletic. He looks great pulling, um, though he may not hit his assignment every time. The fold block is really hard because you have to hold it for a long time. And I think both Downing and Newell struggled with it in this game. Um, it's like the Brees Hall uh fourth down on the goal line where he got stopped short now that was a bounce out play that was one i, I would have expected Brees once he took the ball to bounce that and run for the horn for the flag they had it blocked to the inside unlv was all to the inside the hole there was on the outside instead he tried to force it up the middle and where he forced it the interior of the line uh, in particular the uh newell and downing had a double team and they got driven back three yards on a double team um, by UNLV. Uh, there's some of your problems in the first two games. There's some of your problem. I mean, it was hard to find problems, but there were uh, in the UNLV game. That's where the adjustment needs to be made is there. Then Brees will start seeing things a little bit better, adjusting to what it is. I don't know that he's uncomfortable. I think his, his, his level of, of discomfort is because he's pressing and in this game, if you're pressing, trying to do more, you get slower. You make bad reads, and then you get frustrated. And um, given his level of production last year and his expectations for this year, um, he's just got to relax. And I, I think that's part of part of what Coach Campbell was speaking to is that's why he took Brock out of the game. That's his stated reason. He just needed to get his head right. Well, getting his head right means you got to relax and just be the player that you are. And I, I think Brees is close to that, and maybe this game helped get him into that mode. Um, but, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a transition in the offensive style that's being made, and Campbell's used these first three games to try to get healthy running it. I think you can just see that he's thinking a lot uh, – like some of those plays that there's been so many times where he's been so close to making one of those big runs that we've, that, you know, we've seen from him. There's the play against Iowa where Jack Kerner made a really good play to get out there and make a tackle in the open field, kind of tripped him up by the ankle. Uh, there were a couple in this game where it seemed like, you know, he was just one move away from, from scoring a touchdown, uh, and I, you know, in the moment I was wondering if it's a, if it's the explosive, if like the explosiveness maybe just wasn't there in the same way that it was last year, if maybe being banged up or whatever it was, but I do think that he's just thinking more than, than he maybe yeah. was last season. His explosiveness is there that one against Iowa. And there's one in particular, I think of in the UNLV game where he, he paused and then he exploded through the hole and it looked like it was going to be a 75 yarder and he got tripped up and got nine. Um, you know, we'll take a nine yard gain, but it wasn't what we're used to seeing. That's not his explosiveness. He was every bit as explosive on those plays 
but that's the running style that I'm talking about. A gap scheme blocked run. You got to hit it. You got to see it and hit it right now. And he's used to taking kind of a pause step before he does and explodes. And that pause step under, under that different scheme gets somebody on your ankles or causes you to have to run through something as opposed to just hitting it right now and, and going to the house. That's, that's the adjustment. That's thinking what you're talking about is a, is a microsecond of a thought as he's running that play that he's just not quite there or hasn't been, that can be because of pressing that can be because of thinking, because the scheme's a little bit different. The hole isn't quite where he thought, but that's all it takes uh, for that gap to be made up and somebody to get a hand that makes it a nine yard gain instead of a 35 yard gain. So it's almost kind of like a quarterback when, you know, a quarterback gets used to having a bad offensive line that then yep. he starts to see ghosts and gets happy feet in the pocket when, even when he's got a clean pocket. Yep. That's it. And that that's so for instance, that play Jeff broke down uh, against Iowa where um, he said he just missed the hole. He went outside where that hole was on the inside. We've seen him make that cut to the inside before. That's why Jeff called it out is because that was uncharacteristic. Uh, that's a guy who was used to see, who was expecting the hole to be in a place. And he ran to where he thought the hole would be pre-snap that didn't let himself relax enough to react and cut to where his vision told him to go. You also saw him conflicted on that run. He took an extra lateral step that, that slowed him down and caused it to be a, um, you know, a two yard gain or, or whatever, instead of a seven to 10 yard gain. That's the type of stuff we're talking about. If, if you're expecting to go run in a certain spot, and that's, that's what I mean when I say you're pressing, you're pressing, you're trying to make a play, you're looking for that big st spot and you will predetermine what you're going to do as opposed to um, reacting and using your vision, which is critical for a talented running back. And he has next level vision. Um, he's just working himself into a spot where he starts to use it uh, with a little bit different look. Do you have any other things on the offense before we flip it over to the defense? You know... I am. I think it takes the top level collegiate corner to cover Xavier Hutchinson. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that guy is virtually uncoverable by virtue of the fact that he was the receiver last year and still was open. He's the receiver this year and they, they couldn't, uh, couldn't cover him because he was, not just open. He was ridiculously open on a number of those catches. Um, that's an, that's an amazing thing. They really need a second receiver to pop up. And I thought skates made strides, uh, in that I thought he looked sharper than we've seen him look in an Iowa state uniform the other night, uh, both making the catches and running the routes that, that he was running. That's a really positive development because I, I think it's, uh, I think we're seeing defenses roll to, uh, and cause trouble for Kohler and his routes. And so they really need that second receiver are going to need it in, in big 12 play. And I thought skates made the, the strongest statement, uh, that he's made to date, uh, to be that guy. And I think that's, fairly exciting because he's a big, strong, really fast dude. That play he made when he caught the ball on the sideline and then cut all the way back across the field mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I think I've told this story before that someone his freshman year uh, on the staff had told me that if they, you know, if we were going to play backyard football and you're just picking teams and you're, and you're just going to roll the balls out and go and play, there's nobody on the field who would be better than him, but it's the, all the other stuff. Uh, that slows him down, you know, when you get into actual games. Uh, that play right there, I felt like was a perfect encapsulation of that, though. You see just that pure talent, the ability that he has uh, on display on a play where he catches it on the sidelines, reverses all the way back across the field for, you know, another 15 yards or whatever it was. You got to sit there and be like, man, that's different right there. You know, they don't, got, they don't got anything like that. If that kid can come, can put it all together and, and not only have, you know, that, that physical ability that's, that has, you know, had people in the program so impressed for so long and then put it together with all the mental stuff, then, you know, he could become a serious problem for opponents. Uh, I, 
I think so. And that's, I think that's what the team needs to take the step forward and have the rest of the season look like they want it to look, uh, the touchdown that he caught that got called back, uh, over on the sideline. That was a great catch. Excellent di discipline with his feet. He made another really hard catch, uh, on the sideline for one of his, um, recorded receptions uh, where he had to stretch, catch the ball with his hands extended and get his feet down. That was what, what I, he wasn't capable of doing. That's, th that's a step forward that we've talked about before uh, this season that, that he, uh, he showed the other night. And I think that's a really great, because I think he's a confidence player. I think if he's got confidence, he's going to be open. And if Brock, feels like you can trust him with tight throws like that, like he, he does Hutchinson, then, um, then that makes them much harder to defend and should relax some pressure on Kohler, which then will allow him to be who he is. He looks faster, by the way. Charlie does. Yeah. Yeah. He looked really, I mean, that was obviously by far the best he's looked. That was, a, he, he looked much more 100% than he did against Iowa. I thought. You know, I caught him on the sideline uh, when they were coming out of a timeout, uh, standing in his receiver stance and uh, pushing off, uh, practicing kind of his explosion and burst off the line. And I wonder if that's not related to whatever lower body injury he may have, uh, still just testing it out. But but if he gets to full health or close to it, uh, he's a – He's always a problem, period. Uh, but he looks faster than what he was last year and bigger. And that's that's an amazing thing. There were a number of players I noticed during the game in particular. I don't know why I noticed it more in this game than in the previous two that are, are faster and bigger than they were last year. It probably helps when the other team isn't near as fast or big as, as they are. That, I light it. That's true. It didn't. As, as obvious against Iowa, but look against Iowa. I don't want to talk about that very much, but, yeah. uh, but against Iowa, that, that was not a physical mismatch uh, on either side of the ball at all. Like it has been in the past. And you know, the, the defensive performance statistically was outstanding. That was more than enough to win. Um, and we all know how, how it went, but um, but that wasn't a physical problem against Iowa. Iowa was fortunate that Iowa State melted down mentally uh, from a physical standpoint. Man, I, I said the I said this to Jeff last week, but just how the ball bounces in the air when you play them, man, is something else. I don't know. There's something weird about that whole deal. I don't know who sold their soul to somebody over in Iowa City, but man, when they the way that the ball when it gets tipped up in the air, the way that it floats up for them it seems like every single time is unlike anything i've ever seen i mean there's even times on saturday where iowa state would get their hands on balls and stuff like that and it just never floats up straight in the air like what it does <laughs> for iowa man like i don't know i've never seen another team that's like that where anytime that the ball is tipped up it somehow is going to end up in somebody's hands like it's it just it's crazy and it's always been that way for them I, I don't know what it is yeah you can talk to indiana about that as well um but there, there's a formula to beat Iowa, and very few teams are able to or commit to what it takes to do it. And that's why they win as consistently as they do. I, I tweeted about respecting their program and the way they work, you know, to use borrow Matt Campbell's phrase, in the margins. But there are elements of the game that make it harder to win and harder to be successful, and they're really good at it. Uh, but they can be exploited. You just have to be committed to doing it and to going back to it. Um, and to play the long game against them. And Iowa State's formula is not much different. Iowa State forces you defensively to play the long game offensively, and, and teams and coaches don't like to do that very often uh, because it's hard. You have to play play disciplined. But there are, there are vulnerabilities there that I was disappointed that the staff did not um, work to. Um, instead, they kind of just – tried to do their own thing as opposed to working toward towards what works against Iowa. But it's a, it's something I've been studying for years now and have finally kind of focused in on, on how it's done, but um, not a lot of teams can do it. Right. All right. Last thing I want to say about the offense, it, you know, you talked about X, uh, man, I almost wonder, you know, we talked about with Brock about him running the ball, getting him kind of easing him into the game 
in that sense early on. I almost wonder if X is kind of the same or if you really make a point to get him involved early in the game. It seems like that's when he has, you know, his best performances uh, where, you know, I think back to even like the Big 12 championship game, all the catches that he had in that one. Uh, it seems like he gets better as the game goes along, but you almost have to get him involved early to really make sure that he's going to be kind of at his peak when the game gets going. Does that make sense? I don't know. I, that's just like something I've kind of observed. It seems like that, that was the case this week where he seemed like, I don't know that engaged is the right word, but we've seen where he's made some mental mistakes in the past when, you know, later on in the game when he hasn't really been involved earlier in the game. Yeah. Look, it's a hard thing in all of sports. It's, I mean, your, your background is basketball, right? Uh, it helps to either get a layup early and that'll help your jump shot, right? Uh, it helps to, uh, you know, play hard on defense, get a couple boards as somebody gets into their scoring rhythm later in the game, as opposed to being fairly uninvolved and, and then expected to make shots in the second half or late in the first half. Um, this is the same in football. The offensive line has the advantage of hitting right out of the gate. Um, pulls them in the skill positions have to wait for their number to be called. And that, that sometimes can be a real challenge for a coach play calling. If you, if I've got to get Brock some runs, if I've got to get Brees a successful run, if I've got to get a touch to Hutchinson and the defense may be vulnerable to something else, or Charlie may be the guy um, that's hard to do. It's hard to get all those guys early touches. Uh, and if, if you're right, which I think you might might be, which is each of those guys are momentum players, then finding those touches early is, is, is going to be a challenge and something that we can look for as a trigger for the offense moving forward. All right, that's enough about the offense. Uh, let's switch it over to the defense um, before we talk about – take a break, then talk about Baylor. Uh, man, Jay – Defense is good. Really good. That's about I'm, my one observation. That, that, that's a solid observation. They're good and getting better. How about that? Um, I know I'm out on a limb, and I'm, I'm usually more pessimistic about things. But uh, I had more defensive notes than offensive. Um, just, let's just talk about a couple of guys first. So, Jerry Vaughn. Okay. Excellent player. Yeah. Upgrade at the middle linebacker. Wow. Uh, his speed, number one, jumps out. But one of the things I observed about him in high school and a reason I thought he was going to – that if they could get his size figured out um, is in high school he was a behind-the-line linebacker. His instincts to shoot gaps come through with speed and, and finish a play uh, – was outstanding. And I think we're starting to see that. I think we saw that the other night, What he does is when he reads a play properly, uh, which he does very often, he will shoot that gap and he will force a running back. So, so one of the ways you stop a running game is you force the running back to determine his path early. So that's why penetration is disruptive to a running game because the running back has to determine his path. When, when a running back is determining his path, you can, Think about Brees when he's making his cuts two to three yards down the field. Now you've got something going and you're looking at big plays in the running game uh, because he's in space and you're desperate to get him at that point. When he has to define his path early, now the entire defense knows the pursuit angle and pursues to that running back, and that's where the running games get stopped. Vaughn is excellent at coming up, coming through, uh, with proper angles and resetting the running back a yard or two deep in the backfield. And if you look back at the UNLV game, you'll see that several times. Their fourth down play, he was key in coming through, disrupting, setting the path, and then that allowed Rose and others to uh, to get to the ball. So what that does is that, that turns the 
defensive line from having or feeling forced to take maybe a, a misstep or to lose their discipline to get through and redirect or contain. Uh, now it puts them in the opportunity to play off their blocks and make tackles at the line of scrimmage uh, because their middle linebacker has gone through reset and um, um, now made them a second level of the defense. Anytime you can make your defensive line a second level of defense on a particular play, you're doing great. Vaughn has that ability. Yeah, we've seen it now in multiple weeks and uh, also his ability to spy and move out at a proper angle and with speed on a, on a quarterback escaping uh, is excellent. I think he's an upgrade at the middle linebacker and uh, has made this defense much better over the first three weeks. Um, what's, what's the biggest thing that he does different than, I mean, obviously Orion's pretty good too. Like we've seen him have some really good games yeah. as well. So it's like, what does he do that's different than Orion? I mean, I, he reads like what's the biggest thing that separates them he reads faster and he believes it he gets there um faster um orion's fine he's a great linebacker orion's 255 vaughn's 235 orion can take on a block can slow read and and come across and and make uh make plays at middle linebacker depth vaughn reads plays really well and then reacts quickly so he's making plays at line of scrimmage back. Um, that's the difference. Okay. So when Orion is healthy again, how do you, how would you manage that? Um, I don't know if you, I actually have in my notes, do you Wally pip him or, or what? I don't know. Um, we saw the, the, because they could this week, we saw the, uh, backup linebackers play quite a bit. Rose, I think, sat out. He got good rest. Uh, in the game. And even when he played, he uh, was everywhere, basically, from sideline to sideline, all over the field. Yeah, he's taken his game up a notch. Um, we, we did see in the late second quarter uh, and early third, uh, they, they moved Hummel into the middle okay. and on on the outside. They played those two guys in in the middle too, uh, with Hummel in the middle. You remember when he got trucked mm-hmm. on one run and on another, he was playing in the middle on those, which is why he was primary on the tackle versus an assist uh, tackler. I thought that that was an indication that maybe Vance is coming back real soon if they were getting uh, Hummel reps in the middle. Um, but uh, yeah, Rose was everywhere. I don't know what you do if Vance comes back, except now I feel really good about any one of the six that I've got on the field. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that I know that coming into the year, they said that those three guys who were the backups would have been starters on most Big Twelve teams, probably. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I like Eric Horn; he's got great, um, great instincts. Uh, Davis played a little bit less, but but he's solid when he's in there. Um, yeah, they're the linebacking court, even late in the game when Hunter Zinzin got in, he played really well, uh, in the, in the middle. Yeah. But, there, there won't be any drop off at that position. That's for sure. No, um, no. all right. Another guy, I'm just going to guess another guy, I guess you, I'm going to guess you've got on your list. Kamani King. Yep. Yep. What, Stand. what stands out about him? Uh, tackling and aggression. Uh, first, that's that's what they need in that position. That's what Lawrence White White provided. Lawrence White was as solid a tackler as there was on the defense, and that was what was going to be hardest to replace in my mind was his discipline and ability to make tackles. I thought Kamani King the other night stepped it up a notch. I thought he flew to the ball, finished when he was there. Uh, he's bigger than he was the last couple years, um, and if they're getting that type of active production along with Ashim Young uh, and Eisworth, that's an upgrade in this defense. Uh, we, we, I don't know that we've seen him challenged in coverage a ton just yet, but he's a natural corner. So I'm going to assume his coverage skill is pretty solid, uh, but his, his support on the edge in the run game and coming up was outstanding and actually another level up half a tick up from uh, from what White was. And that's going to be a uh, – those two areas, if we get 
if Iowa State gets play out of their third safety and their middle linebacker like that or like we've seen in the first three, then then this defense is going to be hard to move the ball on all, all year. I think the thing that's so impressive to me about those that secondary group is that no matter who is out there uh, at any given time, because they rotate those guys – quite a bit, maybe not, maybe not as quite, quite as much as the off or as the defensive line, but pretty close. Uh, the discipline that they play with on the edge is really impressive. Um, I mean, Anthony Johnson, uh, TJ Tampa does a pretty good job of it. You know, how good those guys are at setting an edge and then, you know, forcing things back into the inside in the way that, that they run to the football. Like it just is, it's almost like art to watch it you know, because you can just tell that those guys are so well drilled in what they need to do uh, in, in trying to, to keep people from getting that corner. It's really the key to defense. Uh, I read, wrote an article several years back that was overly long, so no one probably read the whole thing. Uh, but I'm I sure talked I did. about it. It probably took me an hour and a half to edit it. <laughs> yeah, but I was talking about defensive philosophy, and, and a defense works like a skeleton. So when it, it moves, all 11 guys have an assignment and they uh, stay within those bounds, then offenses don't move uh, because you've got, you've accounted for everything. Uh, what happens where, where offenses move is defenses break down. Either someone doesn't set an edge like you're talking about. And perhaps the most critical part of any defense is setting the edge. Uh, and there's there's two levels to that, both from the corner on the far outside and from the defensive ends or linebackers, however you're running your defense for that edge setter and, and those contained responsibilities. Um, yeah, they're really good at that. Iowa State has had the luxury of a Brian Peavy and now an Anthony Johnson that one side of that field is reliable, if not locked down, pretty close. And Anthony Johnson is just outstanding just outstanding both as a run defender now and as a cover man and that that affords you the opportunity to use that third safety um, in a way that that that's creative and problematic for offenses uh, I think the second corner is still up in the air we still need to see more uh, out of that that's going to be a vulnerability but my hope is is that Tampa is starting to take hold of that job and will grow into himself as the year progresses. I was just going to say, I I don't know that anybody's noted that – did Datron not play? I don't think he did. Okay. Yeah, but I guess I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice that. I mean I, I mean, I wasn't paying that much attention to it on Saturday. You just kind of assume that he's out there. I don't know what happened with him then. I, but, yeah, no. it only has him having played two games, and I, I know he played in the first two, obviously. Yeah, so that's an interesting development. Huh. I wonder if he was banged up or what the deal was. I'll have to ask about that when I'm at when I we talked to Coach Campbell in two and a half hours, I guess. Um, okay, is there any who else did you have on there? Were those the only two guys, or you got some more? Well, more more as a group. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about Will McDonald, mm -hmm. and that. Yeah, he's just he's better. Uh, Will McDonald versus the run is better and and not just better is good. Um, that's an added element to his game. He was on the field for all downs. Uh, and we've seen that in the first three games. Uh, he's no longer just a pass rush specialist. He's making plays in the running game and he's holding the line in the point of attack in the running game. And that type of dynamic player um, allows you to rotate everybody else. And he was great. Indy was awesome. He played on the nose. He played on the edge. And anytime he was in the mix, uh, you know, I was trying to go through and note the different defensive line mixes. I had uh, Mc, Mc, uh, McDonald, uh, Singleton, and Indy, really solid group when those three are out there together. Uh, McDonald, Peterson, and Lee, a little bit less dynamic, uh, okay against the run but you're really looking for McDonald to be, be the pass rush penetrator in that set. Uh, and then um, Peterson, Inye in the middle, and McDonald on the edge were three that I noted uh, with my favorite of those being Singleton, 
McDonald and any um, out there together, but they're rotating those guys out in different combinations. Each one brings a little bit uh, different element, but I think as, as games progress, you're going to see a lot more of the McDonald Singleton and any, and any McDonald and Peterson groups out there, because I think that those are, and he was great. He was covering tackle to tackle. Uh, he was getting penetration uh, both from the edge and from the middle. And I think that that's, that's also an upgrade over last year, the way that those guys have played so far. I think it's a, a good representation of just how good Will McDonald and then any has been as a, an extension of this through three games. Will McDonald has six tackles, three tackles for loss, two and a half sacks and two quarterback hurries, which the court, two quarterback hurries is not as, an accurate representation of how often I think he has forced quarterbacks to make plays. Uh, holding penalties. Well, yeah. Yeah. If you, if, if holding penalties counted in quarterback hurries, then Will McDonald have, would have like 15 quarterback hurries through three games. Uh, but then you, with any, he's got 11 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, a pass breakup and two quarterback hurries. I am willing to bet that that is, by a considerable margin, the most plays that any has made through three games in his career. And this is his fifth year as a starter for Iowa state. Yeah. And, and, and his, his, he's been an enigma because his motor didn't run all the time uh, when he was out there, that that's been the knock on him. And that is not present this year. You see him playing hard and using the full, uh, bringing the, his full talents to the table on every play. And, and that's a major difference he's done that in the past he's had great stretches he's had good games and great series of games but it hasn't been consistent um either by injury or otherwise but but that button has uh been pushed this season and for the first three games uh you've got a, you've got the difference maker you'd expect a six foot seven 290 pound guy to have yeah there's a handful of guys on on especially on the defense that i feel like have really helped themselves so far from coming back and, you know, what they can do with their futures. I mean, he's at the top of the list, I think. I, agree. I, I don't know how, if you're a def if you're an NFL scout right now, I don't know that he gets drafted. I mean, he's obviously probably, shoot, he's probably 24 years old or, you know, close to it. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if you're an NFL scout, I don't know how you look at that guy and be like, he's not worth at least just a, a camp inviter, you know, taking a chance on him, taking a flyer maybe in the later rounds. Yeah, he's certainly uh, on the radar, I, I suspect. And he's the type of player at that position. You think about an Iowa State lord like a Tuba Rubin, mm -hmm. you know, um, a guy like that, uh, that that could come in and just be a steady presence at the NFL level for a long period of time if he plays with the effort uh, that we're seeing from him this year. But he's he's looks slimmed down a little bit. Uh, he looks quicker and faster. Uh, and, and he's making those, he's putting those stats up from, uh, a nose guard position and that that's, th those are impressive stats through three, three games from that position. Yeah. I mean, that's by far the most disruptive that anybody who's played that position for Iowa state has, has been, I mean, as Great. good as Ray Lima was, he was never disruptive in that same way. Exactly. And see, and that's what you get in Singleton too. Sing Singleton's a disruptor. Lee is your Ray Lima type. And, um, so you got two disruptors and a, and a raise and a, um, gap controller that, that you can rotate in depending on what the game circumstances are and who's playing well that day. And they, they're using them all. Um, and that's, that's really solid because it allows you to leave your linebackers in flow and coverage situations, uh, as opposed to having to blitz them every time. Is Tuba still in the league? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I figured You're, probably not. He, he's, he lasted, I think he, what's up? He lasted forever. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, when I first started covering him and I was doing like a Cyclones in the NFL thing, there was only like four of them when I was first starting to do that. And it was like an AJ Klein update basically every week. But uh, AJ Klein and Tim, Tim Dobbins, I think, were basically the only ones that were really putting up numbers. But uh, it seemed like he was just around forever man I mean, yep. he, he was and on all kinds of different teams like he was just a guy that teams would pick up knowing that he was going to come in and do the job yep and, and that that's what that job is it's there are very few at the nfl level actual disruptors from the inside and the ones that are are superstars right uh, 
what you really need at that position because you have such talent on the on the edges at the defensive end and in the linebacker uh, position, uh, depending on the defensive structure, um, that what you need is somebody who's disciplined and strong enough to do their job consistently uh, and, and force things to the outside and to their playmakers, and that's what he was great at. All right. Any more thoughts on the defense before we talk about Baylor? Um, thought it was interesting to see Miles Perch get as much run as he did. Um, even though it was later in the game, you saw his number out there, number 15, uh, several times as a true freshman. So that that's encouraging for the future. Um, and then I thought the coverage was better and, and solid um, throughout the game. Not that they were threatened particularly uh, by what UNLV was running out there, but uh, that can corners are momentum players. I guess that's our, our theme for, for this podcast, but uh, coverage can be very momentum uh, based and to see them get that heading into the Baylor game is really good. Really quick. Uh, I just want to ask you, did you watch Oklahoma Nebraska on Saturday? Not a, not a second. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, uh, I thought it was interesting that what Nebraska did against them defensively was very familiar and Oklahoma had some trouble with it. Spencer Rattler did not handle it overly well. And I was just going to ask your thoughts on that, but, uh, yeah, it seems like people have picked up the formula for playing against Oklahoma (laughs) at this point. I am, uh, purposefully avoiding, uh, most uh, broadcasts involving OU or Texas. So yeah, that's fair. It was on Fox though, so you know. Well, I would watch. Yeah, for sure. All right, we'll take a quick break, then we'll come back. We'll talk about Baylor here on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back into Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. George Stansberg, Jay Jordan, getting ready to break down the Baylor Bears ahead of Saturday's two thirty kick between the Cyclones and Baylor down in Waco. Uh, Probably can't take too much away from Baylor's game on Saturday. Uh, I think the only thing you can take away is somehow Kansas might legitimately be worse than what they've been, which is shocking to be completely honest. Uh, But what have you seen from Baylor so far? Their numbers are good defensively. Um, and they, you know, they look really solid statistically on that side, which I think you can expect with, with Dave Aranda. But uh, what what have you seen from them so far? Very little. I'm going to um, let you and Jeff down in that I have not prepared extensively for for Baylor um, and, and that game. I do know a couple things. Um, Jerry Vaughn, I think, is a good or no Bohannon. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Our guy's Jerry Vaughn. Uh, Bohannon's a, a good, problematic quarterback. So um, one thing that Baylor has done really well that has caused Iowa State very great difficulty, uh, and it was more frustrating when it was a guy like Charlie Brewer than it is it will be with, with Bohannon, but it's quarterback run late. And the ability of the quarterback to escape the pocket, make a difference with his legs, extend a play, and find one of their talented receivers down the field. And that's um, something that that Bohannon brings to the game that that has been problematic for Iowa State in the past, though I do feel, based on our previous comments, that that's going to be less of an issue uh, this year than it has been in the past. Um, Have they been tested yet? No. Um, Has Iowa State? Yes. Um, I like that dynamic heading into uh, a first Big 12 game. I hate playing in Waco. It's just a hard place, uh, but Iowa State's done it pretty successfully. Uh, so schematically, I haven't watched enough of them to be really concerned um, or, I mean, be totally prepared on that. Um, just honestly, defensively, they will be defensively good all year because Dave Aranda's that good, and they're in the second year of his system. Um but Iowa State, I'm more concerned about Iowa State's progression on the offensive side versus what they're going to bring at us defensively, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what do you want to see from them early in the game to feel? I mean, I've asked you this question, I think, every time you've been on. But what do you want to see from them early in the game to feel like they 
you know, are in a good spot. They're in the right place that they need to be mentally, I guess, uh, to be able to, you know, play effectively through the whole game. Um, I want to see them handle pressure. I want to see them, um, meaning mostly Brock. How does Brock look when, when Baylor penetrates the line? Does he throw off his back foot? Does he scramble and make a chaos play? Or uh, does he stand in the pocket and deliver the ball so the pressure becomes irrelevant? That is the key to me here in these next next couple games. This can Brock get into a pattern where just like the other night, um, he's able to release the ball on time and early. So I, they didn't have that opportunity very much against Iowa because Iowa had things covered. Um, and our receivers and our routes were having significant difficulty getting open. Uh, the same was true against you and I. Then we saw the reversal of that last week, probably due to level of competition. So now that the level of competition pops back up, are the receivers able to create enough space? And is, does Brock trust himself and them enough to get rid of the ball on time and early so that they can they can make some momentum plays um, and keep the sticks moving whether they score or not? Um, that's that's the catalyst for this offense. That's the catalyst for Iowa State season. Is does Brock take that next step forward? Doesn't mean they won't win a ton of games. They will, but those two or three margin games. That, that they've not won uh, in previous seasons. The expectation this year is that those games will be won. Those games are going to be won because Brock Purdy's taken another step forward and is releasing the ball, stepping into a throw, and eliminating pressure, not by his feet and extending the play, but by delivering the ball on time to a receiver who's run a correct route. And um, I know that's a, that's a lot to look at, but the evidence is clear. You saw it against UNLV. That's what it looks like. 21 for 24, 288 yards. Um, early in the game, it'll be, you know, a first half that's seven for or eight for 12 and um, one touchdown. But the ball's taken care of. There aren't throws that should have been intercepted. There aren't throws that are intercepted. And that pressure is irrelevant because, um, because he's getting the ball out on time. That is that is the key. That'll drive the running game. That'll drive the passing game. That's what will allow Iowa State to maybe not fall into fourteen, ten or fourteen point holes and have to have to hold um, offenses to zero points in the second half. Although I will say this: even if there's a slow start, it's okay because that defense is good enough to keep that streak intact. Uh, if you don't score early on Iowa State's defense, you are not scoring late. And that doesn't matter who they play. Well, and I That's, think we learned that last year when they played Baylor, for sure. Wait, uh, well, that's, that's probably a perfect example. So that, that, that's the perfect example, but it's, it's, it's a, a pattern. It's, it's how they've won uh, last year and so far this year. Um, but those – the Baylor game last year is a good example of part of the two parties of the one making desperation throws, chaos throws, uh, not on time and getting a picked off versus the Brock that throws on time that sees the field and steps into his throws in the second half of that game. Um, yeah. Let's see that for two games in a row for a whole game. That's the, that's the, the, benchmark for where this is this Iowa State team an eight and four nine and three team or are they going to threaten uh 10 to 11 wins for the first time in their history yeah and it seems especially crucial for these two weeks when you consider I mean I know Baylor's better but it feels like a game that Iowa State should should be able to win and then obviously Kansas is a game that it would be shocking if Iowa State did not win uh but then you got Kansas State, who is playing pretty good football right now for Chris Kleiman. Um, and that's and that's one of those games where winning in the margins is important, regardless of the fact that Iowa State beat them 45 to zero last year. That the, that fact actually makes me feel like Kansas State's going to come out pretty fired up, knowing that they got their asses punked last year in Ames with COVID and everything that was going on for them at the time. And that's that's Iowa number two. Yeah. Uh, 
they play the same way. Uh, they play similar with similar weapons, and it's hard for Iowa State to solve that puzzle uh, with the way they play. And yeah, when they're playing well, uh, I mean, last year that that was a COVID game. That was a COVID win. Uh, Kansas State had all types of chaos uh, for that. Uh, I think Skylar Thompson will be back for that game, if not well sooner, because uh, I know he got dinged up a little bit. Um, and that's a big, big factor for Kansas State. But yes, that's that's your second chance to play in Iowa is when you play Kansas State. And we all no, we don't have to go through the history to know how difficult that can be. I was going to say, man, that house of horrors, the, the, the house that Bill Snyder built, the it's his like nightmare house i don't even know how to, what even it's like a if like you know you go in the haunted house and there's the part with the chainsaw and all the flashing yeah. lights and stuff yeah that's what i that's how i feel every time i walk into bill snyder family stadium when i was when i was walking out at walking to my car uh in san antonio this weekend uh they had a haunted house up and running right by where the parking lot was so it was just like every three or four seconds there'd be a uh, blood curdling scream <laughs> getting the crap scared out of them. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's Kansas state, uh, for Iowa state though. They are better prepared for that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look season moving forward, Baylor, not because Baylor's a team that they should handle. They should handle them well. Uh, whatever the point, what's the point spread? Seven. Uh, it opened at seven. I think last I saw it was down to six and a half, but I, I think there was a lot of money on Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I expect that point spread to be, be accurate, uh, with regard to the end result in the game. It's never easy in Waco. Uh, they are better, but I don't expect, um, that they're not on Iowa state's level. If Iowa state is what we think they are. And so far, uh, I'm on the fence on that, but I think this is a, a benchmark game, uh, to propel them forward. For sure. All right, buddy. I appreciate you stepping in and, and filling in for, for Jeff this week. Hopefully we didn't let him down uh, and ruin his, uh, his honeymoon. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to get you guys both back on here at some point so that we can, you know, we didn't get invites to the wedding. This was a very contentious thing between me and Jeff when we were over in Eastern Iowa at the Mississippi river event. And I, you know, I was kind of offended. Me and Jeff have only been doing podcasts together for like six years. I don't even get an invite to the wedding. And, it, and I was like, you know, I know it's all the way over on the East coast, but just the, the thought would have counted for me to, to get an invitation. I would have appreciated it. Well, at least you didn't have to get him a gift then. Well, yeah, not that I would have gotten him one anyway, probably. <laughs> I would have gotten one for Aaron. I wouldn't have gotten one for him. Yeah. For sure. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Sounds good. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Peace.